Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're very glad you're here. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. And it is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you say with me the words by which we light our chalice? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. The words of Albert Schweitzer. At times our own light goes out and is rekindled by a spark from another person. Each of us has cause to think with deep gratitude of those who have lighted the flame within us. Some people will ask, what holds you all together besides calling yourselves Unitarian Universalists? Uh, You have a background in Christianity or Judaism or Buddhism, some of you Hinduism, Mormonism, humanism, uh, earth-based traditions. What are the things that hold you together? And Um, I can give a really long answer to that question, but one of the things that holds us together is our mission, and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. The words of Lao Tzu. If there is to be peace in the world, there must be peace in the nations. There is to be peace in the nations, there must be peace in the cities. If there is to be peace in the cities, there must be peace between neighbors. If there is to be peace between neighbors, there must be peace in the home. If there is to be peace in the home, there must be peace in the heart. Now is the time in our service when we breathe together into that place in our heart where the stillness lives. We follow the feel of our breath. The more we visit this place, the easier it will be to find. May we be filled with gratitude for this breath for the beating of our hearts, for the children among us, for the elders, for our community. May our gratitude make us strong and brave. Let us enter some silence together, understanding that small noises from children are part of silence. You're now invited to light candles of joy and sorrow and memory and hope. Let's continue our meditation with the Buddhist metta meditation or loving kindness meditation. It is our custom to say it three times. The first time is for ourselves. I'll say a line and you say it after me should you choose to. 
May I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease of well-being. The second time we say it for someone we love. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. The third time, as a spiritual exercise, we say it for someone against whom we have a resentment. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. A lot of us have moments of feeling that life is overwhelmingly difficult. Sometimes we feel nothing will change for the better. We don't have a feeling of true sweetness or love. Happiness is something we can't grasp or even remember. For the fortunate ones, this feeling lasts for a day or two and then it lifts. For some people, it just keeps going. And the voices inside that talk to you about how worthless or lame you are um, become more voracious as they chew up on your spirit and um, they talk to you about how people are looking at you and um, how badly you do everything and what a mess you are and what a disappointment. There's no hope, no spark. There's just a deep pit and it's hard to get out of it. Lots of people suggest what you should try to get out of it. They say exercise is really good for depression, and that's true. But when you're depressed, They say, go to therapy, change the way you think. And some people can do that. Some people keep functioning pretty well with their families and their jobs while they're feeling the depression. And some people just really grind to a halt. Depression hurts mentally and physically. Your body can ache. There are lots of uh, times when you think you might really be dying, and yet what's wrong with you is that your soul is in pain. Some people start sleeping all the time. Some people eat everything in sight. 
Some people can't sleep anymore, and they can't swallow because there's a big lump right here, or they just don't care. They eat Pop-Tarts for every, di- every meal because everything else is just... Sometimes, on some people, depression looks like a long, angry spell. And for other people, it looks like sorrow. For some people, it looks like collecting things you don't need. Most people don't know that hoarding is a kind of depression. Um, Some people hoard stuff, and some people hoard animals. Um... So that neighbor of yours with 75 cats should be on some medication. (laughs) Depression is not sadness, although sadness is an element in depression. You, when you're sad, you're grieving the loss of uh, someone you loved or a part of your life that you are going to miss or a dream that is not going to take place or... um, you just, you're sad about something. You cry, you mourn, you feel awful. And that is healthy and appropriate. And some people feel that if you're mentally healthy enough or if you meditate enough or uh, whatever, then you should be able to go through any uh, event in your life with your head held high and your thoughts in good order and feeling fine. And really what I want to say to you is that it is insane. Because when terrible things happen, we feel bad, and that's appropriate. Sometimes that's appropriate. Depression isn't anger, although feelings of anger and resentment can be present in depression. Anger is meant to alert us to a situation that is harmful to us. And some people say depression is anger turned inward and that you should express all your anger. And uh, other people say, really, um, you don't have to express all your anger. And uh, the Dalai Lama, in fact, says anger is just like a cloud floating across the sun. Just let it go. And other people say you should beat on it mattress with your tennis racket, and other people say, for many people that works, and for other people that makes it worse. And so, they don't know. Low self-esteem and feelings of inferiority can be part of depression, although most people feel those things quite a bit of the time, especially when you're, you know, under 35 or so, you feel like Um, really maybe like the new kid at camp and everybody else got the manual and you didn't get it. And, um, they all know the words to the songs that everybody's singing around the campfire and you're like faking it. And, um, and almost everybody feels that way. And this is a powerful piece of knowledge to have. But you have to raise your right hand and promise to only ever use it for good. Really, I mean it. Thank you. (laughs) Depression has been around for a long time. The first king of the Jews, King Saul, was said to feel deep melancholy. And uh, the little shepherd boy, David, was called to play his harp, to cheer up the king, and to heal his depression. And sometimes music can... 
heal a mood. And sometimes your body chemistry or the universe uses music to snap you out of it. It's very mysterious what snaps you out of it sometimes. Um, Some people use music and some people use exercise and some people use changes in their thinking. And other people uh, find that nature is healing for them or animal companions are healing. People try all kinds of different things. I mean, from the, from the, very ancient days, uh, people have been trying to cure depression. And Hippocrates said that it's uh, cured by a diet of uh, vegetables and abstaining from all excesses. And we don't know if that works because nobody was ever able to do it. Other people say um, that entertaining stories have been able to cure depression. Uh, There was a strain of thought back in the ancient times that if you told really dirty jokes, a person would cheer up. In fact, there was a goddess um, from whom we get the word body. She was said to do lewd dances and tell dirty jokes, and that would cheer people from their melancholy. And I I wouldn't know if that works because I don't know any dirty jokes, so, you know... Exhortation uh, has been tried, saying, you are wasting your life, and other people are worse off than you are, and you should snap out of this, and um, that doesn't work. (laughs) Counting your blessings works for some people. I had a friend, I would go into the library where she was a librarian, I'd say, Rita, how are you doing? She'd be, "Uh, uh, I'm down to counting my blessings. (laughs) (laughs) knew it was bad. (laughs) These days, people try more biomedical cures. There is lots of research um, coming out about depression. There are many things that can mimic depression, thyroid trouble, um, food allergies, uh, too much artificial sweetener, which can crash your serotonin, sensitivity to cyclical changes in the light, Um, Head injuries, diabetes, heart surgery, hypoglycemia, lots of things can be coupled with depression. And so you, uh, a lot of times after a heart surgery, the hospital will set you up with a counselor because it's so common that depression follows that kind of surgery. And if it just hits you out of the blue... If you just have clinical depression, that is so complicated for people because for some reason in our culture, we keep treating it as if it were a matter of will or a matter of character. Um, And if you could just get your thinking right, or if you could just exercise enough, then you could cure yourself. And why don't you get on it? And, um, and we have that feeling inside ourselves, too. And so we feel that um, I am strong enough to beat this thing by myself. Or I had somebody say, I'm too smart to be depressed. And, um, and there are some people who suffer with it as if it were noble to do so. As if it were noble, which it could, you could do that fine if you live by yourself. But... <laughs> It affects everyone around you while you're being noble, they're being miserable. 
And so it behooves one to think of depression as an illness, not only as an illness, but as a life-threatening illness because it kills people. So, doing it by the power of mind alone works just about as well as fighting cancer that way, which is to say, sometimes, but mostly not. Feeling as if you're too intelligent or noble or special to take medicine for depression works just about as much as treating diabetes that way, which is to say, not much. And changes in your thinking combined with medicine seem to work the best. If you take medicine for depression and you take alcohol at the same time, the medicine is not going to work. Alcohol is a depressant. You're working against yourself. If you take medicine and you have been for a long time, you need to be aware that it poops out after two or three years sometimes. It doesn't work as well, so you need to change medicines. You're not doing anything wrong. The medicine poops out, and they often forget to tell you. I know that people have a shame reaction to being depressed. I just don't know why. I have a shame reaction to being sick in any way because in my family I was taught that if you're a really good person, you don't get sick. I've nobody ever said that directly. One time when I had a headache, I was about six years old. I was like, Mama, I have a headache. She said, Oh, honey, children don't get headaches. <laughs> Once I said to my dad, oh, man, I feel sick. He was like, do you need to go to the hospital? I said, no. He said, well, get up then. (laughs) So, um, and I've met other people whose families were like that. Um, However, there shouldn't be shame attached to being sick. Depression as well. Therapists will talk to you about family history of depression. Therapists will talk to you about your anger, how you handle it. Therapists will talk to you about things about which you are sorrowful. They will talk to you about ways that you think. One tiny example might be um, if you are a person who says to yourself, oh man, I flunked that test. Um, Your therapist might say, what grade did you make? And you'll say, B. This is a thinking problem, that if you make anything less than an A, you failed. If your relationship doesn't work out, you failed. If you don't make the top of your profession, you failed. If you come in number two and get a silver medal at the Olympics, you failed because you didn't get a gold. This is one thinking problem that some people have. Anyway... The therapist will work with you on that. So how do you help when there's someone around you, someone you love who has depression? How do you help? Number one, you don't tell them to snap out of it because they can't. They would if they could. Um, Most people. Um, You don't try to cheer them up. You don't go, come on. Life is good. Let's go have some fun. Because what you're going to sound to them like is like a little chipmunk going, 
in their ear. Really, a lovely thing to do is to have compassion, mean feeling with someone. You don't have to feel the depression with them, but to be present with them is important. Like our story illustrated so beautifully, the bird was so grumpy that he walked. He wasn't depressed. He was just grumpy, but his friends walked with him. You walk with somebody who's feeling depressed and they say, oh, gosh, this life is just so hard. And you go, you go, yeah, that's all. It's not hard, although it is counterintuitive, but it's more healing to be with someone than to cheer them up. Let me finish by talking about suicide. When I say depression is a life-threatening illness, I mean it kills people because it makes them think that their thoughts are real. And when you think life is no good and nothing is ever going to get better, that feels like the real reality to you. And everybody who's happy or cheerful looks stupid. And so one thing I would ask if you know someone who is suicidal, just to ask them to consider maybe that the suicidal impulse is a a helping impulse that is urging you to kill off part of your life, a part of your life. In other words, make a major, major change. You may kill yourself, but first try other things. First try uh, getting on a fishing boat and going to Alaska or first try um, just playing dead for a while, you know, because sometimes people say, oh, death would be so restful. Well, then rest, you know, Um, your life won't have you if you're dead. And so you could perhaps just say to everybody, I'm dead. And... um, (laughs) And just move to some place, Montreal or something, for a while and just go be dead there. Uh, You might find it boring being dead. I would say try several big, big changes. If you are killing yourself because you're a disappointment, then just cheerfully or whatever... uh, Just go, yeah, I'm a disappointment. I'm going to embrace it. If you're killing yourself because you've made terrible decisions, just go, yeah, I've made terrible decisions. I'll look forward to my next one. (laughs) It's like the Aikido of your terrible thoughts. You just yield the space. Yeah, I'm bad. I'm bad. I don't know. Nobody knows what works. If you have the energy, try some other stuff. Life is stubborn. Life comes up through cracks in the cement. Life persists when there's really no good reason to. 
And if you're having those thoughts, just remember that depression is like the dementors in that they will tell you things and suck the joy out of you, and they will act as if that is reality. And it reminds me of the story that I read when uh, I was studying shamanism, and uh, there was a an anthropologist who went down to study with a jaguar shaman in uh, South America. And he took the herbal tea and passed out and had the visions. And he was going through the, the first level and the second level and the third level under the earth. And he got so traumatized and um, saw awful things. And the worst thing, he, he woke up and was telling the jaguar shaman, this is, he said, I met the people that run everything. I met the, the, gar, the gargoyles at the third level who, who told me that there is no hope and that they control everything and that I should just give up. And the, and the shaman started laughing. He said, oh yeah, those guys, they always say that. But it's friends that get us through, usually. Friends and medicine. Let's sing about that. Not the medicine, but the friends. (laughs) Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. I know this rose will open. I know my fears will burn away. I know my soul will unfurl its wings. I know this rose will open. Go in peace and don't forget the baby parade next Sunday. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.